Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Hot Stove Society radio show here every week on Caro 97.3 FM. Bonjour, Miss Pam. No, bonjour. I am Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat, and uh, Tom is not with us today because he's such a good boy. He's celebrating he's Thanksgiving with his mama on the East Coast a little bit earlier. Very nice. What a nice boy. Fa- family affair. Family affair. I just love that. I think he's very, um, you know, you would never know. I'm going to talk about Tom Douglas just for a second. Okay. Everybody thinks he's like this big rough, you know, guy. Yeah, he might have some roughness, but he's definitely a big sweetheart on the inside. For he's sure. a big, big, big giver, and he's a very thoughtful individual. So, so welcome to the show today. We have a big, big show, right? Very big. It's going to be so big that I don't even know. I don't even know what we're doing here. Oh, we have a live audience, yeah, by the way. Live audience. Seven hundred twenty-seven people. I counted this morning. I'm horrible at math, but that's okay. We'll work it out. All right. On the show today, we have from the land of industrial food, the scandal over strawberry pop tarts, and a big congratulation to marshmallow fluff. Which Did, someone's from Boston, right? Oh, yeah. Somebody in the audience is from Boston. You know all about it? We, sh- we should have had that person bring us the marshmallow fluff. Because <laughs> she she look looks at everywhere. us like, I don't even know what you're talking about. She's too about. young. I can tell from here. She's not just too young. <laughs> she's also eating healthy. Oh, okay. <laughs> probably. That's probably what it is. But we'll, we'll talk about it later on the show. We're, not, we're not going to do a food and music go together kind of item based on uh, Mr. Questlove's concept of the mixtape potluck. I'm already very excited about that. I know. That's it, I, I thought we would do it while Tom was gone because you're so <laughs> musical. He's usually singing Sing, to start the show. Sing, and definitely singing and wrestling is part of my cooking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that. I love to... Why don't you give us a little bar right now? I see string. <laughs> okay, we'll go later on to that. I don't want to get into my whole... I don't want everybody to know my, you know, my whole talent here. Okay. All right, anyway, next we have Sean Willis, who visits with us to tell us about Dojoy Donuts and the outbound herbivore tech on vegan food in Seattle. You guys know about this magazine? If you don't know about it, it's called Outbound Herbivore. We're going to learn more about it. So vegan, vegan all the way. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there is, there is no vegetarian, no dairy, nothing, no butter. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to go through that without butter. That's going to be... How yeah, are we going to slide through that without butter? Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're also going to talk about making your own spice blend, which is something that everyone should play with at home. You, mm-hmm. should, you should play with your spices because it's nice to just use the coriander or just use the thyme, but so much more fun to just mix it a little bit together and go, wow, you know what? I like this flavor. Next time you do chicken, next time you do broccoli, next time you do... Fish, nice to play with a little bit of rub on top of that. And, and, and of course, uh, I, won't, I won't promote this, but I'm sure Tom Douglas has many ideas about which rub will go with your food. <laughs> He's not here today, so we'll talk about your rub. <laughs> I know. Uh, Carol's listening, and, and she had a little comeuppance with me. She's our product line manager for Rub With Love, and she's like, Hinkley, what the heck? We make spice blends. Don't tell people to make them this themselves. Is, okay, so this is how you promote your own blend, by promoting Spice Blend. Yes. Because many people will try once, but they won't do it every time, so they will have to exactly, buy your blend. Exactly. you got to believe in the positiveness of everything. And of course, lastly, we will play our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge, 
With audience with members. With one of you people participating today, so be ready. <laughs> I'm sure there is a big contestant in there. Yep. Rob Love, the small batch versatile rubs add a flavor kick and a whole lot of love to your menu. All right, but first, Pam, let's talk about my taste of the week, if you I don't mind. I can't wait, since you were in California again. Yes, I was in California, and I went to a wedding, so I want to give a big shout, a big shout out to Winston and Nora for, you know, being married last Saturday on top of uh, Mount Washington in Los Angeles. Whoa. It was beautiful, it was a gorgeous day, and it was a fun party. So we want to wish them a big yay for the rest of their life. Here we go. Congratulations, Winston and Nora. And then, of course, during the weekend, I was at my mother-in-law, and oh, what a beautiful serving. Um, you have to see this. Well, how, how do you describe this? <laughs> I can't even it's describe this. It's a toaster this. pastry. Okay, well, that sounds good. Is it from the bakery across the street, or is it? <laughs> anyway... Um, I also want to give a big shout out to a good friend of my wife, uh, Suji, who has been a childhood friend. And so we stop and see Michael and Suji, her husband and her. They've been a very avid listener to the show for the last 15 years. Um, I just want to remind everybody that, yes, we are very popular all around the country, not just in <laughs> Seattle. I know, sometimes we forget. We actually always forget. But uh, we are extremely popular. We have Lori in San Diego, who's been listening since day one. Yay, She's been Lori. listening for over 20 years. You know, people like that. And so it's nice to give them a little shout-out. So today I thought, well, you know, we'll give them a shout-out. But also, big congrats on Michael for being Mr. Chef in the Kitchen for cooking me. That takes a lot of guts. A wild king salmon. Whoa. On the barbecue. So he did really well. Michael, congratulations. That was delicious. I, in I, California. I, I happened to be at his house a few years back, maybe four or five years ago, and I did... An olive, you know, I often do this for beginners who are afraid to cook fish. I say, you know, just put a nice olive tapenade on top of your salmon, let it cure for a few hours, and then drop it on the grill. And he has been doing it on a piece of foil. And I said, you know, you've got the skin on the salmon. You don't need to put the foil on it. Just drop the salmon on a very high heat, 400 degree barbecue, clean. Just put the salmon right there, close the lid, and walk away. Come back in 10 minutes. The salmon is ready. Just take two big giant spatula, go right above the skin, slide it in, remove the, the salmon, keep the skin on the barbecue, close the lid for another two minutes, remove the skin, and you've got these gorgeous chips, crispy skin chips, and you can That's add. That's my favorite part, the I know. skin. If it's done correctly, that, that chip is delicious. You know? So anyway, what he did this time is he did his own version, putting diced tomato and uh, corn on top of the, the last corn of the year for them in, in California. Put that on top of the, of the salmon, and he marinated it overnight. So there was all this juice around the, the salmon in the Pyrex pan, and he had it in. So I took that, I took that salmon, grilled it. I mean, I, he did it. We did it together. And um, I took the juice and made a um, dressing with it, kind of mustard, Dijon mustard, my brilliant, favorite thing in the world. Brilliant. And a bit of olive oil. So it was all that tomato water and a bit of nice rendering. I made a nice quick dressing with that. So when the salmon was ready, we put it on a platter, poured that dressing right over it. It was mm. scrumptious. <laughs> so congrats, Michael, for being uh, such a good, a good chef on this one. And uh, thank you to both of you, Michael and Suji, for having us over. So that was my taste of the week. Yeah, that sounds pretty pinnacle. It's hard to compete. But for me, it was this beautiful pumpkin coconut soup with curry leaves that we had. 
at soup class. Wow. I'll share this with you guys later. All right. Coming up, the Pop Tart scandal. Read your ingredients label. It's very important. You're listening to the Hot Stop Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stop Society radio show kitchen. How's that? Really? By the way, I forgot to mention, but we're here at the Hotel Andra at the Hot Stop Society cooking school. Then Tom... And Pam operates here on a daily basis, and a uh, great, great place. If you've never been here, you should come and visit, and you should definitely take a class, because it's, it's, it feels like you're in the kitchen when you're in this room. You should take Terry's class December 4th. He's going to do crepes, sweet Uh-oh. and savory. Ooh, Saturday brunch. My mama's favorite thing to make on the spot. <laughs> All right, let's have some crepe. Okay. <laughs> anyway... Uh, we, in this segment, we were going to talk about, there was an article that came out that kind of caught my attention quickly, and I sent it to Pam and said, do you think we should talk about this? There's a, there is a, allegedly, there's a woman who's suing Kellogg over their labeling of strawberry pop-tops, or pop-tarts, right? Pop-tart. Pop-tops, yeah. He's never had one. I'm sorry, I've, <laughs> yes, I must say, I'm a, okay, I'll confess right now. We're going to do a little testing after the, during this segment. I have no idea what we're going to test because I've never had those. But it's not the first time this happened on this show, so it's okay. <laughs> we'll be safe. This is a discovery channel for me. <laughs> so anyway, that, that, uh, there is a lady who, who sued because she said there was not enough strawberry in the Pop-Tart. And I'm like, wow, that is, that is, that is, uh, that is incredible. And uh, mainly the whole topic of this segment should be based on on the label part, you know, you have to read the label. So, Pam, what did you get out of this segment? Oh, out of that this. we have to be diligent in looking at our packaging. Um, the, so the woman is seeking $5 million from Kellogg, accusing the popular cereal company of misleading customers into thinking its strawberry Pop-Tarts contain more strawberries than they actually do. Um, and it's, it's an among a wave of lawsuits alleging big food is labeling its products in ways that make them seem healthier than they are as consumers show greater interest in knowing where their food comes from and how it is made. So it goes into um, great detail in the article about all the ways this woman picked apart uh, the claims on the packaging. And it just reminded me that we have so much responsibility as consumers to pay attention and look, especially one of the areas that um, is getting a lot of attention are the meal replacement bars, the snack bars, and the popular ones are, they're all sugar. If you look on the back, you really have to dig deep and and look because the FDA, although they try to regulate the claims made on all of the labels and substantiate them as, you know, high in vitamins, low in sugar, blah, blah, blah. The policing on it is lax. They just they don't have time. I mean, there's guidelines for all manufacturers, and they would be subject to fines if they did not comply. But the policing of it, the regulation of it, uh, isn't up to speed with the whole industry. And small producers have different regulations than the large industrial ones. So 
I think it's up to us as consumers to yeah, make I, noise about it. Right. I think it's true for everything, whether it's uh, the junk food, the, the food in the middle of the store, or the food on the outside. Even the organic section nowadays, uh, you know, sometimes I have my doubts. I, I look at this and I go, hmm, really? Like, this is December and we have this organic whatever. And From like, some part of the world. Yeah, and I'm like, what makes organic and what doesn't? I mean, where do we stop at this? And so you have to really, as a consumer, I think it's, it's where we're, we're going to for just about everything in the world we live in today. It's called education. You know, we have to educate ourselves more and more and more about where do things come from? And actually, more importantly than anything else, what is growing locally and in season? You, you stick to that. It's not going to be a lot of fun in Seattle, especially today. After a week of rain, you're like, oh, man, what am I going to eat? Well, there's plenty to eat. But it's definitely more limited than if you live. It's much more attractive to live in uh, San Diego, I guess, because you'd have strawberry right now. A real <laughs> strawberry, week. not one made with food coloring and paprika. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it is very important that we educate ourselves about the provenance and the timing of the ingredients you want to eat. You know, obviously, for Thanksgiving, to make a strawberry tart sounds lovely, but not if you live in Seattle, because those strawberries are going to have to travel from somewhere, right? So use the logical, and and if you don't know the logical, you know, educate yourself about, look online, or look, uh, you can find that anywhere, library, online, anywhere. What is in season growing right here, right now, locally? That's easy. But back to the Pop-Tarts. Back to the Pop-Tarts. The people that are in the audience are lucky enough to do a side-by-side tasting. So we have the accused Kellogg, which is the more colorful one on your plate. The frosting has got uh, cheerful sprinkles. And then the um, Nature's Path Organic Berry Strawberry side-by-side. And um, as you know, in ingredient labeling, they're listed in... um, descending order of the ingredient by weight. And so the um, strawberry in the Kellogg version, it, it isn't even in the main ingredients. It's, there are a few ingredients that are less than 2%, and strawberry doesn't show up it, until that bar, whereas in the Nature's Path, um, it's you five. actually get strawberries in the main ingredient labeling. But it's interesting that both products use other fruits to come up with the fruit impression. Apple. And apple and pear. It's a filler. It, yes. And it's, so a sweet, that, it's a sweet filler that they use. You know, once you put apple and pear added to uh, sugar, you know, you, you have a base of sweet fruit that people can reminisce from. From that, you can almost taste green strawberries and and also, they have all these beautiful aromas and flavors that they make in laboratory that is fantastic. They can make you anything you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Strawberry has been around for ages into fake flavor. So, you know, it's, it's, not, it's very easy to, to, to camouflage the whole thing. And you don't need to put a lot of strawberries in a, in a cookie like this. I must say that... Um, okay, so, now for the reveal, the tasting. Which one of you, uh, which, okay, so which one do you prefer? Which one do you, you have, the, the, the polka dots red is the um, Kellogg. Kellogg Pop-Tart. Mm-hmm. 
and the one to the left, which looks a little bit more bland. Actually, this one has no red in it. It doesn't even look like strawberry from the outside. No. But actually, when you crack it on it, you feel like there's a little jam in there or something. So which one of the two would you prefer if you had to pick one to go to bed with? <laughs> no, eating Pop-Tarts in bed. Okay, you that can't eat cookies in show. bed. It's disgusting, and it, you wake up the next morning, you're like, oh my God, what's this? It tastes more like food. We're, we're hearing from the audience. Is it general consensus on that? Yeah, not as sweet, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's very funny because... The one that does not look like there is strawberry in it is actually a better tasting. That's my consensus. And it's not hard to make something good with fruit. Just make a puree, you know, mix with a little honey or sugar if you can have sugar. Uh, honey if you can have sugar or with sugar. You have a jam, cook it down. You have a thick jam. You can put that into any cookie, cake, or whatever you want. And that makes your, you know, this is what those manufacturers should work on. You know, just put a little preservative in there and you can keep it on the shelf for six years. <laughs> but the flavor of strawberry should not be lacking. No, I agree. Now, um, I don't know about this whole lawsuit, but $5 million seems like a lot of cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they're going to trade. <laughs> and um, to end this segment, um, I wanted... We, it was supposed to be about the shenanigans of the industrial food industry, and one of those is the makers of uh, marshmallow fluff. But I'm from New England, so this was an important story to me because it was announced this week that uh, Merriam-Webster is allowing fluffernutter as a word to go into the dictionary. And it is fun. <laughs> 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 Uh, but I went to three supermarkets last night because I wanted to make you all a fluffernutter sandwich today. <laughs> and there's no marshmallow fluff that I can find on the West Coast. You know, so we could make we, some. We could make some homemade we, meringue and some cookies. I'm sure in the kitchen. And really rub this up very be, quickly. <laughs> it would be just a little bit better and fresh. <laughs> Maybe that's the motto of the story. There we go. Okay. All right. Coming up next, we're gonna pair some food and music inspired by the Quest Love. You're listening to the Hotstow Society radio show on Caro 97.3 FM. Woohoo! I see blues, guys. Ooh! I waited to This is kind of like the music I would start putting on as we sit down for dinner. A bunch of friends sitting around the table. We made this beautiful dinner all together. We worked on it. Now it's time to sit down. We just had a glass of champagne. We had some odors. We're sitting down for dinner, and uh, Sashmo comes on. Yeah, take us through good, the evening. Good intro to your dinner, I think. Yeah, so this whole idea came with um, Questlove doing... What was the name of the, of the... Sorry. He has a book out called Mixtape Potluck, which basically... He calls a few of his friends, Mary, of course, all of them famous, and said, here's a dish. What would you play for music with that? You know, today we're having, uh, I don't know, Indian curry, whatever. What are you going to play? I just came up with that. And that, you I know. know. We, we know what the music came up to my head right away. Was tell me, tell me. The, the, the Indian wedding, the movie the, with the Indian wedding. What was that, that the movie? Thank you very much. Monsoon wedding. The music is fantastic to that, to that movie. Have you ever heard it? I watched it, but it did, um, I don't have an impression of what the score was. Oh, the was. music is awesome. 
I've played it many times in the okay. kitchen, actually. It's very cool. Anyway, this is a perfect example of, of um, well, the whole concept of this segment. You know, what, would you, what, what do you play at home where, you know, when you're cooking dinner? Are you playing any music? If not, you know, I'm a big fan of making the whole thing ahead of time, everything together versus, you know, because I've done it also messing around with my phone when I'm playing in the kitchen when, I, you know, your hands are dirty. It's kind of a cumbersome idea. The music stops for five minutes and then you go, oh, it's so sad in here. You know, you got to keep the rhythm going, especially if you have guests coming over. So, so you do make a playlist. Yeah, you make a playlist. It's called I call it I call it very complicated name. It's called Playlist in the Kitchen. <laughs> I'm inspired. It's very very inspiring. Yeah. So <clears throat> I give you an I give you an idea. So when I start prepping, usually it starts with a few things. First, I got to put my apron on so I feel like I'm in the kitchen because that's usually what I do as a chef. And then second of all, I just turn on the music to have um, something going. And third of all, if I'm in the mood, there's a bottle of wine that just got opened. Got to try the wine, right? So that's the wine for the dinner. Just got opened already. It's already decanted or whatever. But, you know, somebody's got to try it as it goes and as it opens up. So that's me. That's my job. So those three things are very important, especially if you have, let's say, two couples coming for dinner. So six people. You know, you want to make sure that... You know, you've got this thing going. So we start, for me, when I start, when I start in the kitchen, I like think something a little bit vivacious that's going to keep me going and prepping and cooking. I start with a movie, my favorite movie music of all time, The Big Night. Mm. If you don't know that soundtrack, you should definitely look it up. It's easy. It's called The Big Night. It's a movie that was made in the, I think in the 80s. Sounds right. Yeah. And uh, the whole movie is... Awesome, but the music track is absolutely beautiful. So that's the kind of music I would start with, you know. Set a lively tempo. Yeah, lively Up tempo, the, get going, do your prep. Um, then I said, you know, as, as uh, just before, and I would also put a little bit of Jello in there because I like Jello. She does some good music, so you mix up. Italian. Oh, Jello, not Jello. No, no, yes, Jello. Jello. <laughs> I do this every time. Every time I do this, and every time somebody goes, what is he saying? So for those of you on the radio who start laughing in your car that or in your kitchen, best, uh, that wasn't jello, that was jello. As in, I lo- I on the floor. <laughs> I like Pam. This, is, this happens to me every day of my life. I'm you sure. have to know. It's funny things, and I never hear it's my accent. When I talk, I don't hear it, but when I listen to the radio show, I go, oh, my oh. God. Anyway, um, to go back after Jello, not Jello. Um, so that would be the opening, and then during the, during just before dinner, we play a little bit of European lounge music before mm. sitting down while you're having a little glass of champagne. You know, some nice little semi techno, semi jazzy kind of idea. Then you sit down, and in the you know beginning of the dinner, you you get something like this, <laughs> something going. And then, uh, you know, after that, I do a little classical, some Vivaldi, Tchaikovsky, Chopin, just to get the mood going in the middle of the meal. And then, uh, we, go, then we go into the Arabic music. I love a lot of different tunes of Arabic music. Beautiful background, setting the tone for, you know, gorgeous setting. And you're now starting to dream into the land of I'm almost full and uh, very happy mm-hmm. and contented. And then towards dessert, you start playing a little gypsy jazz to revive the soul of the people falling asleep. 
<laughs> you know, Django Reinhardt and so on and so forth. And then uh, as you stand up and take your coat on and your raincoat on and about to hit the door, we play Willie Nelson <laughs> on the road again. <laughs> I can get, <laughs> I can wait get on the road again. That's when you want people to go home. You That's when you want people to go home. That. It's like, okay. I have seen enough of my friends. <laughs> I can't wait for you to get on the road again. <laughs> Anyway, that's, that would be my whole night of uh, music for dinner prep and everything. And I think it's very important for me. Uh, music is important to the soul, and it's important to the setting as well. Um, and there's one thing that I must mention that some people are not going to maybe be happy about, but Uh-oh. I am so tired of having Michael Jackson at 7.30 for dinner playing... <laughs> <laughs> This is what I play after dinner when I want to dance. Okay. Not in the restaurant. Not in the restaurant. Not during dinner. When I'm celebrating my anniversary with my wife, uh, I just find that, you know, I... I, Not sensitive to Unfortunately, it is a... uh, I think it's part of that when you buy online on, you know, you you have this subscription to different, whatever, Pandora mm -hmm. or whatever, that plays automatically in your restaurant. You're not the one choosing the list. You know, it comes out automatically. I don't know why, but Michael Jackson between 7 and 7.30 always shows up. I'm like, I love Michael Jackson. I love dancing to Michael Jackson, but please, not when I'm having dinner. My stomach is not taking it. I want to eat, you know, it's just not, it doesn't feel appropriate. I'm going to, um, before we close out, uh, tell them a couple of the things that Questlove came up with. Because I want you guys to think about getting this book. Uh, because the recipe, it is a cookbook, and it's quite spectacular. Uh, but as Terry said, um, Questlove uh, loves to orchestrate dinner parties. So he, in fact, sent uh, the song name to his friends, and then they had to create the recipe to match. And with Martha Stewart, he gave her, because of her partnership with Snoop Dogg, uh, Life of the Party. And she came back with a grape focaccia. I don't get it, but I would happily eat it. Uh, This one made more sense. Uh, Hubert Harper's Free Press News by Muddy Waters. He sent that to Maya Rudolph, and she came back with chocolate chili. That recipe looks incredible. And uh, the one I was listening to last night, It May Be Winter Outside by Love Unlimited. Beautiful Uh song. Sure. Beautiful song. And he sent that to Amy Poehler, and she came back with uh, a veggie party quiche. <laughs> so, okay. It's just interesting to think uh, of, of what that inspires you for flavors. And for Jimmy Fallon, he sent uh, Hungry Heart uh, by our beloved Bruce Springsteen. Sure. And Jimmy came back with air fried chicken burgers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, it's fun. It's fun. I think it's it's nice to to me I, when I think of the, that music accompaniment is not just one dish. I think about the whole, you know, the prep and the dish and the dinner and the, you know, the the whole concept. Because I think it's nice to make a little playlist. But and it's okay to do it twice the same playlist. I mean, you don't have to make one every time. But it's very cool to think about. For example, this year Thanksgiving Thanksgiving is coming up. Ooh. You know, it's nice to think about. Oh, what am I going to play this year for Thanksgiving? You know, it's like we never think about that. 
but you get time, you get two weeks, you know, to just prep your stuff and you probably have all that stuff on your computer already. All it takes is just put it in the folder and then play it mm. and, and uh, you're going to see maybe somebody will be able to notice it. I, w- I would idea. notice. Thank All right. you for that. Coming up, perfect pot, pot roast, pork roast, pardon me, for a rainy day since we've been having a few of those in a row. You're listening to the Hustle Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM. Stay with us. All right, we are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society radio show at the Hotel Andro at the Hot Stove Society kitchen here. Beautiful time. All right, coming up next, Pam, you wanted to know how to roast a pork. Yes. A roast pork. A roast pork because yeah. I always cook it to death. and You cook but, it to death. Yes, but I, it, when you see it at... Uh, and it's a whole beautiful crusty brownness, and yeah. you've got beautiful fruit and squash sides. I, I need to learn how to do it. Please tell me. <laughs> Please. Well, I'm going <laughs> to, if Tom was here, he would be totally crazy already. He would go, you know, we, on this show, we've said it many, many, many times. I'm going to actually ask the audience, how many of you have a meat thermometer <laughs> in your house? How many? A meat, a meat thermometer to... One, two, three. Mm-hmm. Critical. No, no. Okay. Number one instrument. Thanksgiving is around the corner. Christmas is around the corner. Whatever excuse you... Actually, you don't need an excuse to buy one. Just buy one this week and make sure that you use it. That's you know, the, the key. The secret of well-done fish or well-done roast to not happen again is to use that little thermometer. You pick in the highest spot of your piece of meat... You poke, you put the thermometer to reach the middle of that meat, and you know exactly what's going on inside, right? So the rest is to go on the internet or go into a cookbook from Julia or anybody like this, which have a table of what is rare, medium rare, medium, and well done. And remember the most important part of all this when you measure that. The only thing you have to remember is when you take it out of the oven or out of the pan, it does keep on cooking. It carries on. Right, just for a few more minutes, at least four or five minutes, depends on the thickness of your roast. If it's a big roast, it will keep carrying on for another ten minutes. So, you pull at medium rare, you will have medium, right? We're all okay on that. And the resting of the meat is actually very, very important. Super What's important. There's a very, big change that happens, right? Yeah, because you know, when I was a kid, and I've seen my mom do that. I don't know if you remember the old electric knife, you know, and. You know, Sunday roast. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Well, you know, uh, by the way, no laughing. These actually are good tools. They just have disappeared for some reason because we made fun of them. Right. <laughs> but many of you in your house have the dumbest, dullest knife instead of a good sharp knife. Those electric knives were sharp. And you know what's cool about an electric knife? You don't have to push. You don't have to do anything. It actually cuts really straight. So when you want to make a oh. half quarter inch slice of a roast beef or roast anything... It's actually not a dumb idea. I know that... Do you I, still have one? I, I have. Yes. Yes, I do. I haven't used it in quite some time because I have a very sharp knife in my kitchen or in my house. Yeah. Um, but regardless, it's a, it's a tool that is not to be denied. If you have one or if you have, a, you know, you have one in the cupboard, try putting it out and using it on the next time you slice a roast beef just for the hell of it and you'll see what I'm talking about. If you use it correctly, it's actually... 
much easier than most of the knife people have in their kitchen since they're not sharp enough. Back to the roast. Back to <laughs> we just totally went on this tangent of like, all right, people are like, oh, really? That's how you roast the pork. So meat thermometer is important. And to roast the pork. So I would, first of all, I would size the piece of pork you want to buy. So you go to the store, you know, you see, a, you, many times you see a pork uh, roast, it's like 10 pounds big. It's like, eh, most likely you're not going to cook for that much food, right? You don't need that much. If you're cooking for two people or four people, you need at the grandmost a four pound, three pound piece of roast. Now, remember, when you do a roast, the great thing about a roast is to have leftovers, right? Yes. Don't cook just for the meal. Cook a little bit more so you can have a couple sandwiches or you can have a couple pasta that you're going to make the next day or the next, next day, right? Or even add it in a bean soup or, you know, squash soup or whatever. Quickly saute that, put it in the leftovers into your soup. Give a meal instantly. Um, back to the roast. Three, four pound roast. Salt, pepper, fresh thyme, chopped. That's what I would do. No injection. No injection. No. No, garlic slivers, nothing. I'm talking about just roasting a roast pork. Mm-hmm. What I believe in, like Thomas talked about many times as well with us on this show, is to take the roast, and then this is when your knife is important, and butterfly the roast. So now, instead of having a big roast like this, you end up with a roast like this. Right? You're following me on this? Not really. So you take the roast, and you cut it in the middle, you butterfly after, after it's cooked or before? No, no, before. When before. it's raw. Okay. When it's raw. Before you do anything, you come back from the store, take out that string, cut the roast all the way in the middle up to about two inches from the bottom so you can open up the roast. Sounds beautiful. Wait, but we're not done yet. <laughs> it gets better. Okay, why am I doing this? <laughs> two things. I love the crust. Yes. Crispy the more bits. you butterfly your meat, the more crust you get. Who cares about the inside of the meat? It's going to taste the same always, 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 always. But crust is the delicious part, right? So you want to do a little bit of salt, pepper, whatever herbs you want to do or rub you want to do, you're more than welcome to do then. I'm a big fan of salt and pepper to start because I can always add later. I can add more later. I can make a sauce on the side. I can make an aioli on the side. I can make many different things to go with that pork. But keep it simple is a good idea to start. But when you butterfly it, you take a big pan, a cast iron pan, and then you can sear your pork really nicely on both sides and have this gorgeous crust already made. Put that in the oven, and then you, have, you cook it at you know, 375 at the most, and then you cook it for about 20 minutes. You get a beautiful, again, use your meat thermometer. You're looking for 140. Once you take that piece of meat out of the oven, you take it out of the pan, you let it rest for a good 10, 15 minutes, and then you slice thin. And when you slice, slice against the grain. What does that mean? When you look at your meat, there's always lines in the meat, right? Slice against that, transversal to that. That's the secret of having a soft piece of meat as opposed to a... <laughs> you hear that noise? <laughs> Was that the chewy noise? <laughs> yeah, the chewy okay. noise. <laughs> that disgusting sound on the radio. <laughs> anyway, um, this is a good idea to slice transversely because that's how you keep your meat tender. It's important. You never slice your meat in the length of the lines on the meat. You go against the grain. Always. So anyway, that's the basic idea of a pork roast. Then you could do... The butterfly. The that butterfly pot. So now fantastic. you have... If you create your own rub, like we're going to talk in, a, in another segment today... You know, you create your own rub, and you put a nice rub. Now, 
I sear my pork first before I put the rub on because I don't like to burn the spices. You know, I like mm. to get a good sear on my pork, salt, pepper only, I mean, salt only on the pork, a little bit of either um, bacon fat rendered or something that I have on the counter that I've left from a previous cooking. You know, I keep all the fat. So I take the fat, put it in the cast ironing pan, super hot, put the pork down, give it a nice, nice sear on both sides. Then I remove the pork from the pan, put all my rub on it, and then put that in the oven. Mm. And then all the things will roast and... and um, Give that beautiful crust, you know, keep the finishing of the crust in there. And at the end, when I pull the pork out of the, out of the oven, I take the pork out of the pan, take the pan, get rid of that fat that's been in there, and then I put a giant nugget of butter, and if you have some fresh herb, you put that in there, toss it together, pour that over your pork, and let your pork slowly, you know, calm down and relax, and then slice your pork, and you'll have this beautiful, beautiful tender pork. I'm going to weep. That description was beautiful. <laughs> what, what, what Let's you... not weep. Let's cheer and have a wonderful dinner. <laughs> You're listening to us on Cairo 97.3 FM. Stick with us. Let's go. All right. Welcome back to the Hostel Society Radio Show for yeah. second hour. Yes. Tom Douglas is not here today, he's celebrating with Mama an early Thanksgiving on the East Coast, and we are very, very happy that he's doing that, and I'm very impressed. I mean, what a little Mama boy. I love it. <laughs> it's probably what he wants to be called. <laughs> he does have strong family values. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he does. He sure. does. You know, it's very cool. On this uh, second hour, nothing boring is happening, nothing but good, fun stuff. All right, first we're going to talk with... Uh, Two gentlemen, um, Sean Willis and Christopher Ballard. Ballard. Huh? Hello, guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks and, for coming. And uh, you guys came up with some wonderful things that I've never heard of, and I'm very happy to find. There's a Seattle vegan guide called Hotbound. I'm going to say it right. Hotbound Herbivore Magazine. <laughs> this is your third publication. I have not heard of it before until a few days ago when Pam rang the bell. Pam rings the bell in the vegetable section. Yes, I have great enthusiasm for our vegetables, as you all know. And uh, this is a very interesting magazine in terms of uh, reading pictures and everything, but most importantly, there's actually a vegan guide that comes out, what, once a month? Quarterly. Once every th- Quarterly. Quarterly yeah. in Seattle. Yeah. Great news and great information for a lot of people, I'm sure. Vegan is all great. I just wish you guys would slide a little butter in there once in a while. But, you know, I'll do that at my own, at my own expense at home. <laughs> you know, which is something we should remind people. For those of you who want to cheat in vegan, there's nothing wrong with having a great vegan dinner, or at least that's my philosophy. And there's nothing wrong with adding a little butter to it if you can, or if you want to. <laughs> am, I, am I right or am I wrong? This is not, I mean, we're not black and white religion here. This is like, this is a freedom of food. You know, vegan is a great idea you to start with. You can yell back at him. No, you can scream at me. You can. It's okay. I have no problem with that. I, I do have my own belief. I'm not that I'm going to put butter in everything. But sometimes I'm like, you know, especially specifically like, I don't know. I think about some root vegetable sometimes. I'm like, you know, a little butter with a turnip would be delicious. Why? Because turnip, turnips on its own can be, you know, 
especially if you had enough time to make it really pretty and delicious. Well, maybe Sean and Chris can give us some ideas. That's what yeah. I'm hoping. That's, that's why I'm saying all this. Well, there's definitely a lot of options now besides butter that are plant-based butters, especially some like cultured butters that are really good, made out of all sorts of things like uh, there's oat butter, stuff made out of coconut. Um, so there's a lot of other options, but our whole goal is just to make uh, plant-based options more available to people and encourage people to eat more plant-based options, whether that's going completely vegan or just incorporating more uh, you know, plant-based foods into their diet. So I totally agree and I understand. I just had some uh, vegan butter in Los Angeles at my mother-in-law. She had some cashew butter that was actually really delicious. I was never had that before. And she, of course, was pushing me to, you know, I was having my regular butter on my beautiful seven-grain toast. And she's like, oh, you should try this butter. And I'm like, what is that? You know, you smell it. It doesn't smell like anything. I'm like, it doesn't smell like milk. Like, uh. Anyway, it was delicious. I must admit, it was actually really delicious. So I'm all for it. I'm, all, um, I'm also of the belief that we need to kind of create a bridge because vegan to a lot of people in this world it seems to be a little bit far-fetched. But driving yeah. up from California to Seattle, I went right next to I-5. There is a giant feedlot. It totally made me want to go vegan. <laughs> I was like, this is why we need to eat vegetable. Anyway, just a little reminder. So tell me, how did you start this and why? Yeah, well, we started Outbound Herbivore originally just kind of for ourselves, just um, documenting where we were going and different vegan options just to share with our friends and stuff. And uh, we just noticed that we had a lot of people that were interested in plant-based options uh, in Seattle and wherever we were traveling. Um, and so we kind of gained a following um, online and then wanted to put out a guide for people to get them excited about vegan food um, in Seattle and uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And so that's why we started Outbound Herbivore Magazine. We have about 15 people working on it. Um, and we do articles like um, the top places to get vegan mac and cheese in Seattle, uh, animal sanctuaries in the area that uh, you can support, uh, recipe guides for the holidays, or even like we have in our upcoming issue, a guide on how to survive being with your family when you're vegan, because <laughs> that can be very difficult I for agree. a lot of people. I, this is definitely something you should flag out right now for the next two weeks. Get ready. Get ready for that gratin without cream. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the holidays can be a lot of, uh, very stressful for anybody just with a lot being around family, but when you have questions like, where do you get your protein from, or can you eat this, or uh, it can be stressful, so just uh, being like, uh, figure out what you're gonna, your mindset is gonna be going into that helps a lot. I, I I strongly believe, and I've always believed that, even though you know I joke about butter and whatever, I strongly believe that a, a plate should always have one quarter meat or protein if you're gonna eat protein of that of that nature, and the rest should be all vegetable. You know, separated between starches and, and non-starch vegetable. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I've always believed in the balance of that. And I was taught that way when I was a child. You know, you never had a meal with mostly meat on it. That never existed. I mean, I obviously don't come from a very rich family, so not only could not afford it, but you know, it's, to me, it doesn't make sense. And and it's boring to eat the same things. You know. 12 on steak or whatever. It's well, like, and vegetables are so versatile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the sky's the limit on seasoning, roasting. I mean, I think you can make a completely vegan plate that oh, is absolutely. so mouthwateringly satisfying. Mm -hmm. By the way, I had a fabulous meal in Beverly, uh, in uh, West Hollywood, 
last week at uh, Gracia Mad- Madre. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. Been there. Fabulous it's restaurant. Yeah. What is yeah. it? Gracia Gracia Madre. Madre. Well, are you going to talk about your favorite spots in Seattle? Yeah, yeah. we definitely have a lot of favorites. Um, there's kind of a broad spectrum of vegan food here. Um, we don't have maybe a lot of fully vegan restaurants, but uh, we do have uh, a lot of options ranging from one of our favorites is Chuman Vegan Deli in uh, International District. It's been there for a long time. A great fully vegan uh, Vietnamese place with a great owner named Tanya. Um, the food there is ma- amazing, but we also have um, iconic places like Plum Bistro that's uh, on Capitol Hill owned by McKinney Howell and has kind of been like a beacon of uh, for vegans that mm-hmm. travel here. Um, yeah, she's been around for Oh, for a long time, absolutely. Yeah, um, so, enduring power. But you can also get fast, you know, fast food stuff like Cycle Dogs and Ballard and uh, Wayward is kind of like a vegan deli. So Shelter Lounge, any, anything well. that you want, you can kind of get vegan here, which is nice. Mm-hmm. The so, Shelter Lounge is vegan. In ba- in the Ballard, Ballard location, Ballard. Is. and they actually went during COVID. They switched from um, not being vegan to a fully plant-based menu. Wow. And, and that's kind of the the thing that we want to promote and for people to realize is that, um, you know, you can make uh, or a restaurant can go fully vegan that wasn't vegan before and still make really, really tasty food. Um, I think just opening people's minds to different types of vegan food, because I think a lot of people think it is just like celery or whatever, I don't right, know, a yeah. banana or something. It's not. It can be really, really um, innovative and delicious, and it can be a fried chicken sandwich. And when you have all those layers and all those textures, you really can kind of get that same experience from right. it, and that's kind of what it's about. Absolutely. Um, website and place where people can find more, find out more yeah. about Outbound. On Instagram, you can find us at Outbound Herbivore and um, online at OutboundHerbivore.com. And the magazine, how do you subscribe? On our website, or it's actually, you can find it in uh, 15 stores throughout the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, you guys are doing a great job. I, I like the idea of having somebody taking the rein and moving forward, away. moving forward in the publication, sticking to it. You know, yeah. this is good because this is a, you know, a nice bridge to for people who just kind of think about it but don't really know about it so more recipes more everything in there would be a great bridge so thank you so exactly. much yeah. when you yeah. when we come back we're going to talk about your other function which is they're busy they're very yeah. busy donut uh no i'm sorry dojoy dojoy you're gonna Fabulous tell us name. you're gonna tell us all about that i'm very excited about that so when we come back you're listening to the hot stove society radio show on cairo 97.3 fm stay with us We are back in the Hostel Society kitchen here at the Hotel Andra. We have a very live audience. They're very excited. Very live. They've been much more alive since we've been talking about vegan and herbivore. And (laughs) we. (laughs) My God, I didn't realize you guys were so hot on the vegan section. So we have Sean Willis here, <laughs> who's going to tell us about the second part of your first part of your business is outbound. I mean, sorry, outbound herbivore. Mm-hmm. And then you also have a new business called Dojoy. Yeah. So what is that? Yeah. In in May of this year, we decided to start a plant-based yeast-raised donut truck during and COVID time. During COVID, yeah. <laughs> Good You're for crazy you. We, <laughs> <laughs> um, we knew there was a need for or a demand for for yeast-raised vegan donuts here. 
um, and uh, kind of something more creative and fun and exciting. And so we wanted to try to tackle that. And we opened in May, and uh, we've so, I mean, we were selling out literally every single day. Um, we couldn't produce enough on our truck, so we had to get a kitchen. Um, and we just we're in a commissary kitchen now where we produce everything. Wow. And uh, we're actually in the process of moving into a brick and mortar on Cap Hill as well. Wow. So, Good for you. Thank you. Success during COVID time, instantly. Good for you. That must yeah. be, you know what this tells me? This is a high demand product. Obviously, there's a high demand for a lot of vegan project, but so tell me again one more time, how do you make the donut? What's in the donut? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible how, I don't want to say they're easy to make because no yeast-raised donut is easy to make, right? but the swaps are very simple. So, instead of um, dairy milk, we use coconut milk. Instead of butter, we use vegan butter. And instead of egg, we use aquafaba, which you'll find in the can of chickpeas. Sure. So, um, we whip that together um, in that, or, you know, in a way, and it comes together and that's our binding agent. So, so from what I know of rising dough, do mm-hmm. you... Do you have a specific mold? You put them in to have them the same size, or are they all deformed or different size? I mean, different size what? The the donut when they rise. Oh sure. They can't possibly be exactly the same size, right? So yeah, so they all vary. I mean, a tiny bit, but right. we use you know the same cutter for each one and everything like that. Okay. Um, but you know, it is a process. It takes uh, probably a good two and a half hours from when you're mixing the dough to frying the donut and icing it is even a little bit longer because they have to cool. But, um, I mean, that's for one batch. So depending on how many you can do per batch, like two, three hundred donuts can take, you know, eight to ten hours sometimes. So It's a labor it's a, of love. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we wanted to do something to that. I mean, a lot of people come to our truck and they try our donuts and they say, oh, my God, I never would have known this was a vegan donut. And that's kind of what we're going for right. is just a, a product that tastes good. Um, we are mostly nut free we do just have one donut with peanut butter and one with butterfinger vegan butterfinger that contain nuts so the good thing but is peanut is not a nut so we're no, exactly. good with that yeah exactly <laughs> but uh, allergen we're, we're primarily allergen uh, right, friendly right, right. No, so I get you. um that's a good thing and you know eggs and dairy are very frequent allergens and so a lot of people come and go my kid have, has never had a donut because you know he's right. allergic to this or right. to that and so that's really cool that we can kind of bring in more people that way um, especially because we think they taste great and um, from what we've heard people and though joy is what you bring yeah. to the table exactly. obviously exactly. Um, being raised with yeast does that make it a lot lighter a lot yeah, fluffier a lot, of a donut it's a lot fluffier yeah, yeah. so we don't do um, regular uh, we don't do cake donuts we right. are going to be doing gluten free cake donuts okay vegan gluten-free cake donuts when we open our uh, brick and mortar but right now we're just doing the yeast raised and those are yeah the fluffier kind of like nostalgic donut that sure. you know people know and love no, from, so, from childhood exactly yeah. and uh flavors talk to me about flavors what are you what are you adding to those beautiful donuts yeah so our flavors are a little bit different than most donut shops here we <laughs> <Eggplant>? do plant <laughs> uh, not, not yet <laughs> We do like just a ma- kidding. I was teasing. <laughs> we do like a mango con chile. Mm. We have our, like a ba- uh, a classic like chocolate and a glazed. Um, we have a strawberry milkshake. Uh, we have a cookie butter filled donut um, mm. with cookie crumble. We just introduced a blueberry um, with uh, lemon blueberry with uh, cookie crumble on top of that. Um, 
sour watermelon. Yeah, sour watermelon, French. French sour, wait, French wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You're going fast here. Sour watermelon. Oh, uh-huh. sour watermelon. Uh-huh. And how do you sour water sour the watermelon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do you do that? Well, we use citric acid. Okay, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Just, lemon or citric acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have a we use all natural extracts for all of our flavorings when we use. Yeah, for some of them, the flavors. That sounds really good. The sour watermelon for a cocktail sounds delicious. <laughs> it tastes like a watermelon Jolly Rancher is. What yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It would be delicious. So that's awesome. Great yeah. concept. Great ideas. And and uh, where is the brick and mortar? Do you have a? You said you have a spot already. Where is it going to be? Yeah, the brick and mortar is right off Pike and Madison. So it's. Oh, you're you're that's my hood over there. That's good. 1316 East Pike Street. I know exactly where uh, that is. Awesome. We're, we're looking to open in a month. Ish, just depending on how all of our uh, permitting and everything. Yeah, what about the truck? Yeah. It's in Ballard, or the truck's permanently in Ballard. Yeah, it's at fifty four zero one Seventeenth Avenue Northwest. Just on there's a little triangle dirt lot in Ballard. There's two trucks there. One of them's ours. Um, right we're, off market. We're, yeah, right off market, and we're permanently there. Um, just check our hours on Google. For when we're open, we change them. If we have any adjustments, they're very accurate. So I know you had, uh, when I tried to get you on the show a couple of months ago, uh-huh. you were having the same thing we're all experiencing with some labor shortages, yeah. and you were making all the donuts and trying to do totally. everything by y- y- yourselves. Yeah, it, it happens sometimes. Uh, we have a great team, but you know, it, it happens when, if someone can't make it, I started making the donuts. I have uh, a baker one baker right now and myself and so if for some reason i you know the donuts need to get made i they go need in to get made. um yeah and so do you have a background in baking i don't no <laughs> you just like to I make donuts i really didn't like baking until i started <laughs> testing recipes in probably like march of this year and then we ended up you know buying the truck and opening in may so um wow we were, you started in quick. march and opened in may yeah, and you're a cool go-getter. About, the cool thing about our truck was it was previously also a vegan mm-hmm. food truck that was owned by Cycle Dogs, and oh, yeah. they actually bought it from another vegan company, uh, <laughs> No Bones Beach Club, mm-hmm. which t- um, moved into a brick and mortar. So uh, store it's been in clean ever ever since day one. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, no no meat product has ever entered this building. Legacy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, No Bones closed though, so yeah, we're no trying to oh. to carry on the the vegan legacy though with sure. the truck. So. Well, that sounds such a, like a great concept. Thanks. Uh, price? What is a dozen of uh, donut cost? Yeah, so I mean, our donuts are handmade specialty. Sure, Don't sure. We consider them specialty donuts, um, and uh, they're about four bucks a piece. Yeah. But we do a dozen for a little bit less than that, so you get about fifteen percent off the dozen. And the donuts yeah. are really big. Yeah, <laughs> they're like this big. Well, you know, it, it, oh, wow. uh, not not to to, uh, but in order to for people to understand what that means. We're not thinking donuts. We're thinking custom-made pastries. Exactly. So think about the that's big croissant nice, yeah. you get, mm-hmm. the big croissant you get at Starbucks or yeah. whatever. You know, that's the same concept. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it costs four bucks to buy anything these days. Yeah. It's not inconceivable. And, and custom-made like that, it sounds perfectly right. reasonable to me. And yeah. one of the other things we do is all of our sourcing, we make sure everything's vegan. So one thing that a lot of people don't know is a lot of sugar is not vegan. It's processed with bone chars. Correct. So, uh, Stop you know, it. Some people, bone, bone, bone char. Yeah, you can look it up. Did you know that? <laughs> Did no. you know that, Pam? No. Oh, it's very famous. Yeah. It's really good. It's also very good for you if you just eat that. <laughs> <laughs> the sugar part is not good, but the, the bone char. <laughs> well, we like to do it without the bone char. Yeah. So we, we source sugar that is you know, more expensive than normal sugar to make sure it's not yeah. processed with bone char. And just everything tr- that, we, that we put in, we make sure to source carefully. Mm-hmm. 
So have you tried honey, just making the donut with honey since you're raising uh, the dough? Would that work? So honey isn't vegan Debatable. either. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, was, I was just replacing the sugar, not the, yeah. not the vegan part. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. That was a good yeah. catch. Yeah. I like that. What, bees are not vegan? Yeah. What the heck? No, just kidding. It's a hot oh, topic. But yeah, it yeah, is. We, it we is a hot topic. Buy, we don't buy honey. So, no, I get yeah. you. I get yeah. you. Well, this has been very, very fun to have you guys here. It's uh, it's a great discovery for me, the uh, Outbound Herbivore magazine um, quarterly that I will definitely subscribe to because I'm Thank interested you. in to that kind of world. And uh, do joy. Can't wait. That's up my hood. I'm going to go on 13 awesome. and Madison and get some good donuts. I'm going to be excited. Awesome. Tom, I'm sorry. I'm not buying your, your, <laughs> your donuts anymore. I'm going, I'm going to stop halfway through. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, awesome. you guys. Good Thank luck you on all us. your Thanks experience. So it's been fantastic. Us. You guys, round of applause. <laughs> Fabulous. All right, coming up next, we're going to see if we can create a signature spice blend for holiday gifting here on the Hot Stove Society radio show on Cairo 97.3 FM. Stay with us. Okay, we are back in the kitchen at the Host of Society Radio Show here at the Hotel Andra. Uh, it's been a fun, fun, fun day. Coming up next in this segment, Pam, you wanted to talk about spice blend gifting, which I think is a cool, cool idea because I think many people, um, I think more and more people nowadays, um, I just had this conversation with my mother-in-law when I was in LA about not wanting to gift anything to anybody for the holiday, Christmas, whatever, whatever you celebrate, mainly that was not made, you know, that right. was not homemade, you know, nothing that we would buy, just something we make. And, and that's been my tradition, as you know, for many years, making jams and vinegars and all kinds of stuff that I like to give to people. That's been my trend for probably, I don't know, 10 years You're now. ahead of the curve as usual. <laughs> I wasn't ahead of the curve. I just couldn't, I just never get my <clears throat> thing together on time, being a typical guy for Christmas and I was always like oh my god what do I do and I go in my cellar and I go wait a minute I got all these jars here <laughs> yeah. that was practicality that came in first and then I realized that was the gift and people wanted to receive was more something from Terry's kitchen than from craft you know crate and barrel or whatever so at least something they can eat so spice blend you yes. know this happens in my I don't know how about you in your kitchen but in my kitchen very often I open my cupboard and I have a lot of spices, as you can imagine, I'm sure. Um, and very often, I'm, you know, let's say I'm having a chicken. I bone the chicken out. I'm going to grill it. You know, I cut it down into small pieces. And the first thing that comes to mind is like, okay, what am I going to put on this chicken? How do am I, I going to make it fabulous? Do I want to do salt and pepper only or do I want to go and, you know, and then I open the cupboard and look at all the spices and go, all right, so this is already a spice blend that I've made. But what about if I change the pattern and change a little bit and then I look at my sumac, which in case you don't know, that's a great spice because I love sumac. It's got a good flavor. And then I look at all the other spices and I go, you know, I've had that ginger in here for a while. I've had that, you know, hot chili, dry chili, whatever for a oh, while. Those three together, sumac, yeah. ginger, yeah. chili. Exactly. Oh. So then you put that into a coffee grinder. I have a coffee grinder, very old beat up coffee grinder that's been dedicated to just spice grind. You know, and usually what I do is I throw the whole thing in there and just give it a couple pulse and mix the whole thing really well together, a little salt, and then I get my rub for my, my chicken. 
you know, you throw that a little bit of olive oil on the chicken. I love to do, when I do spices, I usually put first a tiny bit of olive oil on my hands and put it all over the chicken, then put the rub so the rub really sticks to the meat everywhere. And then I let it sit. I usually let it sit for probably an hour on the counter, and then I grill. And it's rare that it doesn't come out very delicious. <laughs> Not because I'm making it, but because, you know, you put three good spices together, you're going to end up with a great blend. And, you know? and it's a signature from you. No, of course, of course. So going from that to you go to the spice market, you know, in the spice place market, and you buy a few blend, uh, a few spices a little bit more than you normally do, and you repackage them in small little glass jar or in a, something that people can reuse instead of plastic, and they can also keep in their cupboard, and then you give that as a gift. Nice little bow on it. I made this for you. <laughs> How is that for an idea for a little gift? Well, I was thinking about it because it could combine uh, two of my great loves, uh, a beautiful seasoning, but a craft project. Right. Because the idea would be to create a special label during COVID. I spent a lot of time painting and drawing and uh, doing paper cuts. So I'm equally as excited about making the packaging. So I have a few friends. I, I only have 250 friends. Can you make me a label? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One for each. <laughs> and, and the treasure hunt of finding a really beautiful jar. Is, is part of it for too. sure for sure but, for sure but to the spices i has, does anybody remember boulette's larder at the ferry oh, yeah. building in san francisco uh she was selling this and she just called it her secret everything spice and it was turmeric base which i'm a huge fan of little paprika Salt and thyme. So I'm kind of going to rip off her idea <laughs> and, and started today. Um, and in ode to you, Terry, because of your love of thyme, so, a very important element. But I started with a turmeric base. And as I was wrestling around in the spice cupboard, I saw nutmeg. And we had this wonderful vegan chef here this week doing a soup club. And she was finishing one of her soups with fresh nutmeg. And Roasted that, cauliflower uh, soup. Oh, it wasn't cauliflower. It was pumpkin. Mm. But it just it filled the whole room with that beautiful smell. So uh, I grabbed the nutmeg too. I haven't tasted this yet, <laughs> but we're going to have a stuff. It's going to be delicious, <laughs> I'm sure. And a, a critical element I always think is a flake salt. Oh yeah, flake salt is very important because it so you don't have to reseason your your meat when you're marinating it or when you're putting the rub on it. I think I'm a big fan of, I used to have a Moroccan spice rub salt. Tell us more. It was 60% salt, 40% spices. Oh, this is, that, well, it's 60% salt because it was a seasoning salt, you know, but it was a seasoning salt with spices. So, the so is that the difference if the proportion is higher of the salt? Well, you have to call it a spice, salt. You have to call it if salt. If it's more than 50% salt, you have to call it a salt. <laughs> salt. I'm not, I'm not a, a legal person in that, but I would guess that's how you, things work, right? Yeah. If you have more salt than anything else, you call it a salt, salt. spice rub. As, as opposed to a spice blend. Right. Which is what I was calling it. I was calling it salt spice rub. And, um, but the main, one big spice I love is coriander. I love the, 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 the rose flavor, nose of coriander, and the fragility of it is so nice as a base. I also love to use dry herbs from my garden. You know, we have a, 
Lem- mm-hmm. We grow lemon verbena. So the whole summer oh. you're looking at lemon verbena. Does this it dry? Plant, this plant grows out to be a monster. Yeah. And then comes this time of the year or just... Now, if it's, if it's still outside in your garden, you need to wait a day to just let it dry a little bit. But then you cut all the branches, you whack it to the one inch from the ground. It will come back next year. You whack it one inch from the ground, and you take all those branches and you dry them up. These leaves are absolutely awesome in sugar, infusion. I have a big bag of it for the winter with, you know, with my wife. We're like, oh, we want some tea, yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm going to have lemon verbena. You just take the lemon verbena, hot boiling water. You get infusion in three minutes. And a gorgeous uh, infusion. Lemon verbena is really cool. I have a bush. I, did, I never thought of drying it and keeping it. Yeah. Oh, this is exciting. See? Now I know what I'm doing this weekend. So you can put it in salt. If you put it in salt, you end up with a lemon verbena salt. Would that be good? Would that be good? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea, but it sounds good on, tea, on radio at least. <laughs> What do you guys think? Huh? Nodding head. Uh, you could also keep, you also keep all the dry leaves and use them. You could dry them out now in your kitchen, leave it on your counter and let the dry leaves and use it for Thanksgiving. You know, when you put that turkey in the oven, that whole turkey or that whole bird, whatever you're doing, you could stuff the whole thing with citrus and lemon verbena. It's really delicious. The release is really nice and it smells absolutely gorgeous. So those are different ways. You could roast uh, vegetable. Like if you were doing a whole, for Thanksgiving, I usually do a whole uh, root vegetable roasting in a big pan. I do carrots, turnips, parsnips, um, beets, put everything together, olive oil, and then spice, blend, or uh, whatever I did. And last year, that's one thing I did, is I took all those branches of lemon verbena and stuck them in the middle of the vegetable and roast the vegetable like this. And it's really cool. It really releases nicely, you do taste that lemon verbena in the end, so it's really nice. So the stock, too, not just the leaves. Well, I'm too lazy to just <laughs> take it off the stock. You know, when you get that much, you're just like, <clears throat> just put the whole thing together. Because at the end, you take it off because you're not actually eating that lemon verbena. Lemon verbena is an interesting herb because it's very oily, uh, super strong, but it's not really a good chewing kind of leaf. You know, it's not mint. It's not basil. It's definitely much stronger than that. So, But it releases beautiful flavor. So, what, what else do you have in your garden? So, ro- you can do the same thing with rosemary. You can do the same thing with lavender. Many people have lavender plants and don't know what to do with it. Great thing. You bring it inside. You let it dry out. You can make little sachet for your friend's drawers. Tell him uh, you kind of noticed there was a little odor coming. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. What about bay? Uh, my bay leaf is, is actually a dr- I mean, bay leaf is a gimme. It's easy. Just take a couple but branches. Could you grind it yes, for a, yes. a blend? Just get a good grinder, a good coffee grinder, and then just, just be patient because a bay leaf, you, I would suggest cutting them in smaller pieces if you can first, or use your, your food processor. Cut it down to a, you know, big chunks and then put that into a coffee grinder where you can actually grind it. But it makes beautiful, beautiful mix into, you could do a thyme, bay leaf, and lavender and make a beautiful Provençal mm. kind mm. of idea that nice you would put combo. on the chicken or on a duck, or on just about anything. Vegetables, you know, not to talk about meat only. You can put it on, on uh, vegetables, roasting vegetable. You know, everybody's big on uh, squash and pumpkin this time of year. It's great, but adding that kind of spice onto it really helps the kitty a little bit. You know, you just really make it so it's a lot tastier. 
Uh, and to conclude, uh, to do a little plug for Rub With Love, the other one I'm going to make is going to be based in our porcini mushroom rub mm. and build from there. Because what do you call it, Lars? The everything rub. <laughs> it, it's, it, it saves everything because it's got that rich, roasty mushroom character. So I want to build something. I must from agree. This I've had it many times. And it, it is definitely it, a saver at the end of, oh, I have no sauce. I have not, no. I have a little pan that's hot i just remove whatever i was cooking in there just put a little water put the rub in there you get a beautiful sauce instantly you know finish it with whatever you want olive oil butter whatever you want to put at the end but just the fact that you add this to a deglazing pan you're done you don't need anything else and you're right it is a delicious product because that mushroom flavor is so uh woodsy and musty and it gives a lot of character to anything yeah all right, coming up next, Tasty Trivia, sponsored by Rob with Love. Coming up next here on Carol 97.3 FM. Stick with us. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back in the Hot Stuff Society Radio Show Kitchen here at the Hotel Hondra. All brand new and remodeled. If you haven't had a chance to come downtown and check it out, please do for the holiday. Book a room. Uh, do a staycation downtown Seattle. and That would be so Really, fun. really enjoy yourself for a nice weekend here around here. It's a beautiful thing to do. And take a class at the Hot Stove Society. All right, Pam. We have a busy, busy, uh, tasty trivia here. Let's go. What are we doing? And how does the game play? Uh, two of our live audience members are competing against you. Ooh, I'm going to have a hard time. Gets five questions, and uh, well, there's no loser today because you've already decided that you're going to send uh, the prize of the week to your friends, right? Well, yeah, I think I think Michael and Suji for been listening from uh, Long Beach, California, for the last 15 years deserve to have a pack of rub with love. They probably heard Tom a thousand times saying that. So, so there, they, and because he barbecue really well because I was there to actually approve that or, or not approve it because that's <laughs> who the hell am I to approve it but to uh, to be actually enjoying it um, I think he deserves a rub with love so absolutely can, can putting up with you too that's right sure they deserve more than that <laughs> but our contestants Jerry and Iris are both going to go home with the Harvest Trio pack yay rub, rub with love <laughs> yeah. yeah you're ready so we're going to start with Jerry Five questions. I have kind of a A B C D E theme. So either in the question or the answer, uh, it is related to one of the letters. So the first one for you uh, <laughs> is uh, a popular sauce for beef is Albert sauce. What is it made of? Albert sauce? Yeah. <laughs> it has to be A B C D E. <laughs> yeah. A is in Albert. A was in the yeah name. Not in the answer, though, right? Not it, but not in the answer. Beef stock? Nice, but no. Uh, An Albert sauce is a rich horseradish sauce with a base of butter, flour, and cream. Oh. Uh, We need to have that. Yeah. Wow, that is definitely a classic. B, what is the name of the professional worker who makes espresso drinks? The barista? Yay! Oh, yay. Also, the answer is actually collected to the beef. <laughs> that one, it worked out. Please describe the Italian aperitif Campari. Campari? Oh, okay, like I'm not a drinker. But oh. I'm, I'm guessing some kind of black currant liqueur. 
I would say bitter to start, so you can bitter, be. Yeah. Oh, and and Amaro, um, Amaro. in that family, yes. Um, We're gonna give you a point five with the help of Terry. Point five. Oh, it's like a pastis thing. <laughs> Is it what? A pastis thing? No, 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 no. no. Herbs and bitter. It's like more like a bitter aperitif. Ah. And then it gets used in and different a beautiful, cocktail. beautiful red color. Yeah. What is the main ingredient in a duck cell sauce? Butter? A mushroom? Yay! Yay! <laughs> I like how Pam, for those of you on the radio <laughs> listeners who can't have the pleasure of seeing what's going on, Pam just pointed to a pile of mushroom on the table. And Jerry, that was a great guess. <laughs> Thanks. And the final one. Enology is the study and science of what beverage? Enology? (laughs) I like like you. Yeah, you can repeat the word, Uh, okay. Eggs, eggplant. (laughs) Eggs, yeah. Uh, No, I don't know. It is winemaking. Oh... Thank you. And Terry? All right, 2.5. 2.5. You're halfway there. Thank you know you what? I'm playing. not mocking by any stretch of imagination. I've done one before and I've done zero. So. <laughs> Iris, you ready for this? Okay, our next, next contestant, Iris. <laughs> Welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. Are you ready? <laughs> what is the name of the popular Italian rice ball appetizer? Oh, and, oh I got to say it right. Arancini? Yes. Okay. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Arancini. <laughs> Please describe a bechamel sauce. Cream and butter? Close. Oh, my God. That would be uh, you missing cheese. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Cream, butter, and cheese. Butter. No. Bechamel. I think flour. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yay, you got it. It's milk, butter, and flour. Okay. It's actually butter, flour, and milk in that order. It's always butter. (laughs) Yes, it's always butter. (laughs) But I I think we were giving her that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is Cantel cheese from France or Germany? C-A-N-T-A-L. France. Yes. Please name uh, the popular term for stuffed grape leaves. Thomas. You are rocking Whoa! it, girl. She's rocking it. She's going for the gold. <laughs> um, this is the E question. What is the nightshade plant related to potatoes and tomatoes? Oh, you know, plant. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> she, said it, she said the E later. Beautiful work, Eris. Yeah. Five out of five. I'm not contesting with you. No way. <laughs> Let's see if Terry can keep Uh up. By the way, we forgot to mention the loser pays for shipping. To your friends. For the the goods we're sending to To Michael and (laughs) Suji. Please describe the meaning of the Italian phrase al dente. Uh, To the tooth. Yes. Which means that it needs to be a little bit crunchy. Slight resistance. Slightly resistance, yeah. You nailed it. Oh, this one's a gimme. In which country is the Beaujolais region? Oh. (laughs) Israel? No, just kidding. I'm going to go with uh, France. Actually, the Rhone Valley. Uh, Name the main ingredients in a caprese salad. 
tomato and mozzarella and basil and mm, olive oil and a little bit of sea salt to finish it sitting in a little bar outside in Sicily nailed it what is the base liquor in a daiquiri since I don't know anything about that drink I'm going to say cream of coconut oh silly silly I'm just kidding rum it's rum you're yes. right and what is the oldest and most important cheese in Switzerland? Gruyere. We're on E. We're on E. Emmental. <laughs> Correct. That's the brother of the Gruyere is Emmental. You only get 0. 0.5. Oh, you so the winner up. is Iris. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yay. congratulations, Iris. <laughs> and uh, uh, Jerry? You had, you had seven bucks to send the damn shipping to uh, Long Beach. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Thank you so much for playing this. That was very cool. We don't often have the audience playing. We should do I this know, more it's, often. It's more fun with them. Ah, that's, that's a lot more fun. All right. If you, if you want to be part of the show, you can join us in the community on Facebook at Hot Stove Society Radio Show or buy a ticket to come to the show at Hot Stove Society like the beautiful audience we have today. Thank you, you guys, for showing up. You're listening to the Hot Stove Society on Cairo 97.3 FM. This show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, my partner in crime today. Sound engineer and production by Sean McFadden, right here on my right. And the editor is Sean DeTore, who's been with us since day one. Bravo, Sean. We never see you, but we know you play the magic. All right. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stuff Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And again, thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful weekend. 